Radio Live. Superpowers. We're here with Jan Regev, co-founder and CEO at Zest. Jan, what's up? How are you? Oh, great. Thanks for having me. Great. Uh, what are you up to these days? Um, trying to grow uh, Zest, trying to have more uh, sleeping hours and to be more with my three uh, daughters. Which is Zest quite... and rest. Zest and rest. Wow, that's good. Here is a sl- new so slogan. Good. Yeah, all right. We are good. Do you want to maybe tell us what Zest is? Right. Yeah, definitely. So uh, Zest is a user-fueled um, learning platform for uh, professionals. And actually what we did, we built um, some sort of an engine that know how to distill content from the web. And we'll speak about the whole process uh, probably later on. Um, and with the distilled content, what the engine knows uh, to do is actually to match the content for each end user and build for him um, a learning path that will improve his professional talent eventually. So that's what this does. And how do you end up doing something like that? Um, I believe that I'm uh, one of those um, university drop-offs, uh, dropouts, you say. Right. So um, I wasn't there in a good crowd. Oh, yeah. Still many others. Really? Also. So that's good. So, um, yeah, I was um, a weak uh, student in high school. Uh, I was even weaker. And, um, um, you know, when I tried uh, to study in the university um, and then what I started to do is when I co-founded my first web marketing agency and I didn't know anything about web marketing. So I just consumed a lot of content. Through the web and the web is you know was uh, uh, full of uh, great content over there you dropped um, out of university what did you go to study I, I studied uh, studied uh, Chinese studies or East wow. uh, Asian studies and I tried to study economics but it was a f- huge failure over there so I just uh, stopped uh, probably it was uh, in the middle over there and just co-founded was it a difficult decision to stop no one of the easiest it just wasn't for me why, I'm not why? built for studying. Why? Like, like, I'm always interested about this because uh, there's a lot of talks today, which I totally agree with, that education is stupid. Right. And in, in, in correlation to how people learn today and Google and information, and it's just not, you know, not there. So, like, I'm interested, why were you not good at school? Because you're probably, you're already, you're good entrepreneurs. Why, why school? Right. It's a great question. I'm not sure what is the right uh, answer. Probably more, more professional people than me can, uh, um, you know, can testify. But, um, I think that, uh, it's very, uh, methodological kind of, um, thing over there. And this specific methodology is not good for everybody. And for, you know, if I, if I'm a little bit dyslectic as far as it relates to my, um, the way that I'm, um, handwriting or the way that I'm uh, consuming content uh, or uh, educative content. So I, I just cannot do that. In their way. Are you, are you dyslectic? Yeah, I am. Okay. I am. So, so, but, but I'm thinking like dyslectic is one reason, but like, can you think, think of why uh, other reasons? I believe that, um, you know, and, um, uh, maybe I'll, I'll start to, um, I'll answer this one from, from the end. So in between that, um, eventually I, um, uh, hired a few hundreds of people, you know, throughout the last uh, decade or so, and I interviewed probably thousands, um, of, uh, potential uh, candidates. Um, at any given stage, I wanted, uh, it wasn't that important for me what they studied, um, in school or in the university. It doesn't even, um, it doesn't even was a, you know, a small parameter in my decision making process. Um, and as far as actually, as I relate is, it's all about what you actually did. Um, you know, as a professional, uh, what type of human being are you? Yeah. Your achievements as far as you relate, what, what you actually did. 
not more than that. So I'm not sure, I think that what you, we studied, uh, what we studied at the uh, universities and schools, it's so theoretical, uh, which is almost, I consider it, it's a little bit uh, fluff, you can say. You cannot do anything with that after you finish your degree. So I want to stick with that. that that's sure. like, that, you said two things that are like amazing in my opinion. So the two reasons that you hire people is who they are and what they did. Yeah. Okay. But what they did, like how did they do that if they don't have education? Mm-hmm. Okay. So I'll give you one theory. One theory is there's a lot of startups today, a lot of young people going into business. And even if they fail, they can get a job. So like that's the new academic. Like worst case scenario, they built something, a website or whatever. They go ask for a job. They said, what did you do before? I built a website. It didn't go well, but I'm a great human being. Yeah. So, so like, what would not you... only that, if you already built something, you already learned much more than probably a student will learn, you know, in the first year of whatever you will learn over there. So you already have something. So I, I, I would ask you this. If it costs $100,000 to study, okay, in a great school, or $100,000 to do a startup that even fails, mm-hmm. what would you advise someone to do? Go uh, found a startup. That, that's it. Just go ahead and fail. That's and, the best uh, on your CV. That's definitely. Um, I prefer to have someone, of course, like, of course, prefer to have someone with this uh, um, failing um, experience uh, than to have someone with a successful and, uh, let's say, high results in his, uh, uh, what he, whatever he studied. So give me those people with the experience. With their, with their, uh, you know, um, dirt uh, under their uh, fingernails. Right. I love this. I think about 15 years ago, college was some sort of guarantee uh, for a career. And today's reality is just that there's no real constant. Everything is changing. So if a person has a degree, even if they find that first job, it doesn't guarantee that they're going to stick there for life. In general, people aren't staying in jobs for very long. So what you have to offer is basically you and your set of skills. Mm-hmm. And if people think that they can go to college and just gain their skills... And go with that for life, that just doesn't correlate with reality. True. What do you think about this theory? People who finish college, again, okay, you know, not all people, but people who finish college may be more confused than people who are just trying to do stuff. I think it's, um, uh, it's true in some way uh, to extent because eventually, and um, I think that all of us are self-learners and all of us as professionals, we are all the time improving our talent, right? So probably most of us professionals studied at the universities and, and schools. And then when we started our own professional life, whether we are freelancers or we are working at some given uh, company, we then taking some workshops, trainings, courses, and, um, and stuff like that. Um, what I'm, what I'm uh, suggesting to professionals, let's say, is that you should know what you want to do before you're taking any kind of course, right? And that's like the second step of you being more professional at what you do. I wish that we could have uh, uh, taken the same decision before we are studying. As you just said, know what you want to uh, be good at. Like, what is your exact profession? Like, if I, if I went ahead and I go and I studied East Asia stud, uh, studies, it's, I cannot do anything with that unless I will be super hyper-focused with what I want to do with that eventually. But I didn't know it before I, start, I started the, the studies over there. But Steve Jobs would say mm-hmm. that you would connect the dots in retrospect, that he studied and learned about fonts, and he learned all these different things. And by the way, I think he was also a dropout, right? He was. But he did take academic courses, and he did say that every course and everything that he learned uh, ended up serving him. He, he wouldn't guess that that font session would actually make Apple. So uh, when he took it, he couldn't see that pathway. But in retrospect or hindsight, he, he would connect the dots and say that's part of that story. Right. And uh, 
It's it's something about um, being in motion. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, but it, like what you're saying is really hard because I, how can I know what I want to do before I have any experience or learning anything? I think this, none of us know probably, but you should have something and then everything that you will uh, learn uh, in whatever the course is or whatever the degree is will come in a different kind of perspective. So you'll be able to, um, uh, to be much more laser focused and then you can take uh, those theoretical tools that you learned and, and absorb and actually execute them on what you aim to do. Whether it's, a, it's going to be again a failure or not, but just be much more focused and know, um, you know, if you can uh, uh, much ahead. What do you want to do after, uh, after the degree itself? What was your plan when you entered college? I mean, you took Chinese and uh, Eastern studies, which is not very conventional yep. and not practical, but you also merged it with economics, which I think is the practical aspect. Right. Uh, so what was the plan then? I started uh, probably moving to, the, um, to East um, Asia, whether it will be uh, China or something um, else in the neighborhood over there, and probably start to do something with that. But again, when I'm thinking about it right now, when you guys, um, you know, are asking me about it, it still sound uh, too broad and zoomed out. And I think it was a very bad decision, business decision, <laughs> if, if you may, to take uh, back then to think that I can do something uh, with it without any pre-planning or better pre-planning the whole, the whole uh, process. But then again, if you pre-plan that, you may not have exist. Might be, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, maybe there's not, nothing like a, a like, There's no right and wrong on this on that decision. Pro- probably it's more about it's like more, it's more like a, a biology rather than mathematics, right? right. So um, that's probably the, the thing. For me specifically, it wasn't the right uh, route, and I found myself improving my talent just by consuming um, professional content um, on the web. As far as it relates to marketing, as I'm a marketing professional, so it's all about the content over there on the web and the way that I uh, find it, um, consume it, and then implement it. What was the thing that hooked you on marketing? Like what what was that? To think of um, a, or the potential or the option to uh, um, deliver a cohesive message within your targeted audience from the um, very top of funnel uh, kind of uh, place till the bottom. And uh, I see marketing as something that really wraps up all the, um, all the company. It's not just creating a noise, you know, um, a, up the funnel and get more traction in, but it's actually to know um, the psychological aspect of your targeted audience or users and then to hook them with the right messages throughout their uh, journey and, and, and funnel. And then you need to tweak the message a little bit, but again, it needs to be a cohesive message yet. So um, I really like it. I really like the psychological aspect um, of the marketing. And when did you know that this is this? Like that's what you want to do? Um, so when I f- co-founded uh, my, the, uh, my first uh, web marketing um, agency, Which is um, when you dropped out of college? Yeah, it was um, like um, 11 years ago or something uh, like that. So back then what we did is that it was all about local SEO, which was quite uh, fresh um, at this time. So you know how to um, uh, create uh, Google Maps listings and how to, um, to have more exposure to them, Yahoo Local and stuff like that. No one did it before, especially not in Israel, because uh, I think uh, Google Maps came to Israel just a few years ago and not back then. So it was all about um, activity in the States and, and Canada. And I think that after a few uh, weeks, we started to have a lot of uh, phone calls and leads coming in from those listings that we created on Google Maps and Yahoo Local. And a few weeks after, um, there were like dozens of phone calls and leads that came in to our own businesses in states, in states of Canada. And then we understood that we can actually do something. It's you're making something, whether it's black hat or not, we can discuss it probably uh, in a second. But uh, by doing something um, uh, quite uh, simple but smart, You've been able to uh, create a whole reality for your business 
and then to grow your business and eventually uh, the company that I founded uh, grew to be uh, almost uh, 40 people um, uh, uh, big and a huge uh, high amount of revenues and I uh, CEO the company for four and a half years and it was a true fun you know it was really great experience and how did you decide to even go and start doing SEO um, I think that it's not really SEO right it's like local SEO okay, so it's so all about playing with listings know? in Google uh, in Google Maps it was uh, the lowest hanging fruit that we saw. How did you identify that? I, when, when I started uh, the web marketing agency, I didn't have an, uh, an email. I'm originally a farm boy from the north part of Israel. Uh, I didn't have even email. What year was this? It was 2005, okay. something like that. So I still managed the family farm uh, and all that. And then we moved to Tel Aviv and then I started uh, the web marketing um, agency. Um, when we search for uh, my co-founders have a lot of uh, still have a lot of businesses in the States and Canada. So when we looked for local results, Over there whether it was in San Francisco or in Canada you know in Toronto and, stuff, and places like that so we saw that uh, the search engine result pages are contract from three different sections you have the paid right the PPC yeah. then you have local uh, pack over there with maps and pinpoints and all that and then you have the organic uh, results now organic results it was all about SEO so we knew what it takes uh, you know to control or to dominate the first uh, search engine result pages and But we saw that no one is playing in the local SEO field. Wait, 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 wait. What do you mean we knew how to dominate the local results? I mean, you were studying something completely different. How did you have that confidence? Because we, did we, know? Yeah, so we, did, we didn't know. Um, uh, let's say that uh, we knew what, what are the basics of SEO because I read about it. I consumed the right... Um, Pretty random. How do you evolve from just studying economics uh, and Chinese to thinking I can be a marketer and set up an agency? Just uh, going through the, um, um, we understood that uh, the biggest channel probably will be Google uh, back then. And we didn't have a lot of budgets to do, you know, PPC and, uh, and uh, media. How did you get the first client? Okay, the first client, the, the, those businesses already operated uh, over there, but they were, uh, all their marketing mix were uh, offline. So they did really yellow pages, but you know, the hard copy yellow pages and stickers and... Uh, you did affiliation to, for them. It's not really like that because those, uh, my co-founder had those businesses for, uh, you know, a few years before that, before I joined. There you go. But then they said that they want to move back to Israel and to uh, move all their offline activity to be online. Hmm. And that was a really strategic KPI, you know, to, to try and do that in a span of two years. We managed to do that, to smother all the, um, uh, uh, all the traditional marketing marketing. And to switch it or to transform it to be more um, di- digital based so how did you meet them I know it from the, I know them from my school and from the fe- their fellow kibbutz members so uh, I, I knew them from back then so you basically understood pretty much what their business was at that time yeah and you identified an opportunity to take that online locally right so one of them already have this uh, marketing um, um, orientation we can say and the um, suggested we'll try try a few things we just need to learn and to improve and see how it goes and we, st- we tried a few things and when the phone started to ring so we understood that we are on to something and back then it was um, a, we understood we can uh, gamify uh, or manipulate Google Maps results quite good so we did it it was like a gray hat kind of a technique technique not, not really black hat but a few years after maybe two years after the folks at Google um, they understood that something is wrong because the the impact was so big of what we did it was natural so I started to be a deep throat for Google and What do you mean? Like I told them how you can manipulate their um, um, Google Maps results in order oh, to yeah? gain first positions. To ruin it for everybody else. Yeah, exactly. And uh, because they understood that it's, um, it's, it, it can be widespread and it can really ruin the product. So I started to give, uh, give in a lot of um, uh, information and details how you can, how one can do it. Now I'm not, a, I'm not good in formulas and stuff like that. So I just understood 
how yeah, things are working and yeah and try to um, you know merge a few things together and it worked so we really managed to manipulate you know the whole uh, Google Maps uh, pack over there the result page and then they um, uh, they reached out to me and then you know I think that for one year I just discovered for them all the all the gray hat techniques and then oh, yeah. once you did that then were you still able to use those in techniques? some cases they uh, how do you call it that they uh, pull uh, the baby with the water what do you <laughs> call it right so in some cases we got hit uh, but in most cases um, uh, it was good because other competitors were cleaned we got cleaned out right so it was good there for us and those people that I was in contact with today they're like SVPs in Google so connect you know anyway oh, anyway good. the connection wise it's, it's good uh, but that was back uh, back then and, and what happened with that company at the end still working, uh, still working. operating from uh, yeah from Benjamina and it's a beautiful company and uh, they have a lot of employees and they made a lot of fun um, you know it's a great company I, I again I see all the company for uh, four and a half years then I started to do consultation for big brands And then I joined Webidoo. If some, maybe one of you uh, know Webidoo, it's like weeks for uh, B2B. So uh, at Webidoo, we, we fundraised almost $18 million over there. The company grew to be quite, uh, quite big. And I left Webidoo two years ago, something like that. When at Webidoo, I, I met my uh, Zest co-founder. Um, and he is my uh, co-founder and CTO at Zest. So we just started off Zest and eventually I... found myself but you're describing just. a situation where you were part of very successful ventures and something made you leave at least twice mm-hmm. so what was that like an urge to do something bigger I think that I the first time that I left uh, the company that I co-founded uh, the web marketing um, agency I just felt that I'm hitting some sort of a glass uh, ceiling over there and it's time to me for uh, to move on although the company is is great and I love I love my co-founder still this day you know we are parting together we have a lot of common things that we do together and Uh, so it just was an internal uh, you know fire that uh, was inside me that I felt I really need to were they disappointed I think that uh, maybe yes and, and no eventually because it's 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 easy to say it retro retrospectively right because eventually say oh it's good that this guy left now everything is uh, is even better than I than I was uh, the manager over there but um that's because they are so they're like uh, survivors you know and they're really um really t- talentful people over there uh, so they managed to I, I believe uh, Um, you know do uh, big and great things uh, with or without me but I think it was good for everybody eventually now again it didn't finish uh, bad or something like that it yeah. was all good with good karma and and stuff like that with webido uh, it was a little bit um, different um, I was in webido I think for four years were you a co-founder there no no I just joined as a CMO the company was already uh, funded the team was I think nine people something like that uh, we already had a daughter company with uh, Google uh, Ireland which is still operate still uh, till today and I was there for yeah almost for uh, four years and I really managed to help the company grow so it was one of the best things that I ever did is that um, or maybe it's some of my skill set they managed to be also an agency a kind of marketer or based marketer and also product based marketer uh, and I believe those are two different kind of animals eventually and I'm so happy that I was fortunate enough to have to taste both of these worlds so I think that um, that was a, a real privilege. And you guys founded a daughter company together with Google Ireland. Were you part of that? Um, it was a little bit before I uh, joined I, I joined uh, in and the company, as I said, still operates uh, today and I think that um, that's part of the um, uh, highlights of uh, what we did at, uh, at Webido beside of you know other kind of things, but it was one, one of the best things that we did in the beginning. And then you met your co-founder at Zest there. It was um, a few years after, so he came as a advisor uh, like a software architect uh, to advise our CTO. And um, I met uh, Matty Dan, he's my co-founder over there, and uh, yeah, we started the yellow 
love fair from there. And so how did that go? Did you guys just uh, leave that company? Uh, Webidoo still, still operates, and uh, I left uh, Webidoo two, uh, two years ago. Idan, uh, he's, um, he, he wasn't a freelance, but he had his own uh, agency, or IT and development agency. And once Zest started to gain a lot of traction, so we understood we need to go all in. So you started Zest while you were still there? Yeah, we okay, started okay. with Zest. I made sure that it's all good. Like, you know, we signed the right documents with Webidoo to make sure that we are, it's a completely different uh, kind of effort. And uh, we kicked off uh, while we worked uh, at uh, Webidoo. And was this risk mitigation to start doing it while still being at Webidoo? Um, I'm really grateful for Webidoo to give me the, um, the option to uh, kick off my own venture uh, yeah. uh, over there. They're not a part of it at all? Not at all. And it was so important to sign uh, off the right documents when we just started. Even if we said it, uh, well, okay, we don't even know whether it uh, will be a successful venture or not. But it's so important to... Do these kind of things at did the beginning. Did somebody warn you to do that, or did you? Just... No, I saw that it will. It just will make sense because um, you know Zest is like um, back then. It was only the new tab extension, uh, so it was on my browser over there. And then you know, working from the companies from Webidoo's computers over there, right? Yeah. And, and IT. So it was good to make sure that just to divide those efforts. And I think it was good from a couple of angles because it was good l- legal wise, of course, but it was good also to set the tone and to align expectation with the other chiefs with my co uh, co-workers over there uh, and bosses of course and the the board of directors and, and also it was a good thing to do back then so you met Idan and through that you both sort of brainstormed and felt like there was stuff that you can do together and that evolved yeah, into this yeah we, we, we understood we both had the same thing we both suck at studying we don't <laughs> good we probably don't good at it we're not doing a good job over there I beg to differ. I think uh, studying is very is a very broad term. You're clearly a very much a, a self learner, right? So uh, we see also ourselves as uh, you know uh, trying to lead the self learners kind of um, a movement. We'll speak about zest movement and uh, and everything probably later on. But yeah, we are self learners, and we understood that everyone are self learners, and we understood that um, everyone is consuming those kind of. Um, Do you really believe that everyone is a self learner? I believe that in this, uh, you know, it's probably a spectrum of self learning. So I think that everyone almost around this, uh, or the more professional you are, the more self-learner you are. And we can see that uh, in Zest, for instance, most of our uh, weekly active users are uh, senior marketers. Most of them are like heads of departments or VPs, CMOs, co-founders, CEOs with marketing background and all that. Like 56% of the weekly active users are quite senior. Probably the more senior you are, the more self-learner uh, you are, the more you appreciate solution that cuts through the noise for you. So I believe that, um, again, maybe at the beginning you are not a self-learner, but in time you get the right tools and understand some sort of understanding that you should. Maybe be a- becoming a self-learner is something that sometimes people sort of don't evolve into because society doesn't always push you towards right. that. You know, you go to school and you're not very much encouraged to be self-taught. That's right. So maybe these days not many people, or at least not everyone, I realizes it's that, that it's changing for sure. I think it changed already. You think most people yeah, teach themselves stuff? Today, today the, like, you can see that by the amount of jobs that are, people are uh, bouncing about. Yeah. Um, it's uh, Google's and everybody that's doing amazing startups like you guys are just doing a great job of, of making it more efficient. Like, yeah, if you think about it in regular respect today, what is easier to study? Okay. Is it easier to study a seven minute video or going to a class for three hours? Like right. it's becoming more efficient. Like everything should be. I cannot agree more, but we all get CVs quite on a regular basis. Think about the CVs that you get. How many of those people that you don't really see that uh, added value of self-learning? 
which is something that you can easily spot in a TV. You can't see it. No, you no I think you can. I can. think if, if you see the extracurricular in, in that person holistically, you see what they do, which is what Yam is also talking about, the doing people who initiate stuff versus the person who just went to school, then went to college and is now looking for you to spoon feed them. I'm, I'm with the, I'm with Yami here in the beginning of the conversation because instant the CV is written down, he studied in INSEAD, okay, or MIT, right. or if it's written down on something that I'm doing right now, like a parallel startup or company, I'm taking the parallel startup or company any day of the week, mm-hmm. like oh, even though I'm, he's I'm, amazing. So I, so I advocate self, for that, but that's, that's not my point. That's a self. That's not my you know, point. Okay, I agree a hundred percent. I think, and I'm I'm pro self learning. I I can say about myself that I I am, but I do think that not all people uh, still realize how much power they hold and how much they can learn because I think all knowledge is out there and using tools like Zest that Yam is leading, they can actually gain everything that they need. You don't need some sort of organization to help you get the skills that you want to acquire. If you understand that you want to take what, some path or other, you can learn how to get there yourself. And I think it's a very important message for people because right. I think a lot of people want that structure and they should ask themselves why they need it. Mm-hmm. That's true. That's you, know true. What's, you know what's really funny about, about thinking about Zest mm-hmm. is you're actually making a user journey for a user journey. Like it's, it's like teaching marketeers how to get to the client by showing them how to be the client a little bit because you're, you're studying that person and making him like a funnel. So he gets the best out of that, that product. So, you know, eventually, um, all of us, as we, as we said before, are self learners, probably, um, we can, we can argue about how much self learners we are at the, at the end. Uh, but we all consume this kind or that kind of content eventually in a bite-sized kind of uh, portion. So I'm anyway going to uh, read probably two articles today, for instance, and listen to two podcasts a week and, and you know, watch probably uh, videos. And I'm not talking about courses, as you said, right? Taking a course of, I don't know, 16 hours of, um, you know, whether, whether it will be training or a video-based kind of course or whatever it is. That's, I call it today macro learning. Right, a course today of 16 hours in Linda or Udemy, you and all that, you need to uh, make enough time in your schedule for that. That's macro learning today. Uh, I, I don't think that macro learning is just universities and colleges. Mm-hmm. So that today the, the micro learning spectrum is being opened, right, a little bit and being zoomed in because macro learning are those kind of courses that really interfere with your schedule. And Zest tries to uh, fit into this uh, micro learning kind of experience that anyway, you're going to consume an article today. So let's make sure that this article is good and fit for your career path and your job title at this very moment. And it's not something that you should have consumed a few weeks ago or that you need to consume two months ago. No one is telling you today what you need to consume. You're just lost in a sea of content, which you assume should be good for you to read this, uh, this article. So how do you solve that? So the way that the Zest engine works is that uh, it's based on cognitive computing and network effect. Now let's start to pour in a lot of buzzwords to the discussion, all right? <laughs> all right, so that's the time to do that. Uh, but anyway, it's really, uh, this is what we discovered that um, if uh, I appreciate you, uh, you know, as um, a marketing professional, and you know me, you know, we discussed uh, a few times, uh, probably, um, and we met uh, today, and I can tell you, you know what, um, I love uh, podcast and I love marketing, you know, you know me. Um, would you mind to share with, to share with me a link of a, a piece of content, whatever the format will be, um, once a week? If you think that's relevant for me, would you mind to share with me a link? Once you will share with me with me a link, I'll either probably stop 
doing what I do and I consume your knowledge. By the way, it's not longer information. It's knowledge because you digested it for me and you now recommended it uh, for me. Yeah. Or that I will save it for later and I probably most chances that I will read it, you know, uh, or that I will listen to it. But I will be in the, uh, on the way uh, to work or, or the toilets or whatever. I'll consume this kind of, of knowledge. It's not just some, something that I discovered while I scroll through the feed of Facebook. You have or, some sort of quality stamp now. Yeah, and appreciation. The level of appreciation of our bond, of our relationship, probably have a lot of impact on the way that I will uh, consume this knowledge and how it will impact me. Mm-hmm. And then probably what will happen is that I will, uh, and that's what's actually happening for most of us, we are uh, gathering a group of people that we quite appreciate, professionally speaking, probably personally speaking as well. Once they sharing with us, uh, once they share with us something uh, that relate to our uh, profession, we'll probably consume this knowledge. So we have a high level of appreciation. That's exactly what Zest does, but in a huge scale. So we understand. It's really like um, um, Spotify kind of algorithms. So you have those weekly um, um, lists and recommendations. And Spotify understands, um, you know, it's matching uh, the playlists that we do. And then it takes one song right. from uh, this one, from this character, and putting it in your uh, playlist. And then it understands how you consume it. We are doing the same for professional content. Exactly the same. So we, we understand the appreciation and bonds and uh, how close you are uh, professionally speaking and profile speaking or persona speaking to some others um, who suggest content uh, in Zest and maybe curate content in Zest, you know, that you can save articles and, and all that. And then we are starting to build your own micro learning path and you can decide how many articles you can you want to, to consume each day, week and so and so forth. You don't need to go to, for, uh, to Google to search and to be uh, flooded with links uh, or manipulated kind of content over there, you know, with SEO. You don't need to go to Facebook to discover things that uh, the algorithms uh, think that you uh, need, but they will give things that you want, but not things that you need, probably. And if you if we'll go back to your original um, question, so me and my co-founder, we understood, understood that something is completely broken with the way professionals are consuming content today. And there is no effective and trusted or trustworthy kind of solution for professionals to go or go, go ahead and consume knowledge and become better at what they do. This is just for marketers or? For now, just for, for, for marketers. Yeah. Just for marketing uh, professionals. Uh, we have, we are teaching the machine how to, um, let's say, distill content uh, because the people are so involved or the user are so involved with the way that they filter and distill content. So people are suggesting content that they think the other tribe members should, uh, should consume. And then if the machine uh, don't know if this content is, uh, good enough or not good enough I'm talking about insightful content uh, in depth with a lot of added value so he then sends queries to hundreds of volunteers that we have and the, the machine asks them really simple questions about the, the article and then it builds some sort of picture so the machine can decide whether this content holds any kind of added value for someone or not most of the go- content gets distilled out of the distillery we call ourselves content uh, distillery so that's how it works so it's all about the community and tribe members and uh, a multi-level kind of structure and stuff like that. Can't you do that to any subject? Like, why aren't you doing that to tech or... Um, I think that we can and we should and we will. Um, eventually, we will do that. Again, it's it's really cut off the edge technology, that's for sure. Uh, and that's probably one of the main pillars in our strategy, uh, the technology. Uh, but another huge pillar that we have in our strategy is the human aspect of it. And uh, we're not putting humans, and now let's start to use some cliches, also not just buzzwords. So we're not putting users in the center, we're putting users in the forefront of what we do. Um, users are the one who will uh, decide what content will get distilled in, 
and what's not. They are suggesting content. We are not aggregating the web, right? Users will uh, will do that. So if if you um, if you do that, if you put users in the forefront, you're making them. Let's say that you are multiplying your brain force, right, in your right. in your organization. And today, although we just started as two co-founders, and uh, we we had a team of a few volunteers, which are now probably uh, we can call them full-time employees. We had hundreds of users in our user advisory board that help us in different kind of aspects, whether it's a business model, a new design for a landing page, a new feature that they need, that they want to test. And you get yourself a lot of brain power that can just reinforce you. And, you know, you're having no friction. Uh, sorry, you're moving all the buffers, all the automation buffers, if you may, between your product uh, or you or yourself with your users. And all, uh, absorbing all those uh, all those feedback from your uh, users just really shorten the time for Product market fit, which is great, of course. You know, that's, that's probably the biggest struggle as a startup that you might have. And also, it's function as a huge growth flywheel, if you want, because those people are so integrated and they're so engaged and they're so grateful for what you give them as far as they relate for added value. So they just want to be part of your thing and they want to give back and they will probably write about you, you know, um, in their blogs or uh, publications and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. A great example Smart. is that... Uh, we when we had when we were at the end of our pre-seed round, which we just closed a few uh, like two to three months ago, we understood that there are some low-hanging uh, kind of uh, investors, and we can discuss about the whole uh, funding strategy that we had at ZS. So what we did, we understood that in order to convert more investors in or those investors that are already in our funnel, um, if you want to call it that way, we need to have some prominent mentions in some media publications. So then we went to our um, uh, user advisory board and some sub-tribes that we have within Zest. We asked who can help us with that. And a few weeks after, we had uh, uh, an article about us on entrepreneur.com and Forbes, Wow! for instance. I, I, think that, uh, I think that we paid a lot for that. But again, not in money. We're just being yeah. humans. And we did, we, are, we, are, uh, we have a lot of fuck-ups, we are doing a lot of wrong things, we are sharing it with the community, you can see our Facebook page, and you can see our Medium publication and all that, we have all the bad things and good things, and it's everything about transparency, authenticity, and vulnerability, so that's how we operate the brand of Zest, this is how we operate the product, so we operate our own self-brands as uh, co-founders or our Zest team members, and all that. And in the spirit of transparency and uh, vulnerability, what would you say the biggest challenges you've encountered so far are? I think I was fortunate enough to find the right uh, co-founder. Not to find, but really to work together. Um, he's one of my best friends uh, today. He probably knows me better uh, than m- most of my good friends, my good old friends. Probably even a little bit better than my wife, you know, because <laughs> we, are so, uh, we have a lot of time uh, together. The past two years were really... Um, uh, uh, had a lot of high friction um, in a good way, you know, just been together for such a long time. So it's all all about partners, um, I believe. It's all about that. Was there something in the transparency or vulnerability <clears throat> that you were, before you posted it, you're like, you were scared about or what people think or, because we've been hearing the transparency and vulnerability as a strategy in the last while. Yeah. And uh, it's an interesting strategy. Like, we understand the likability, but there's probably a lot of fears about it. It really depends on, uh, first of all, who, who you are as a person, what your persona is or what your personality is, uh, if you want. So um, I'm that kind of person. I'm uh, transparent. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm authentic. I, I don't have a problem to speak about my uh, failures and my successes. Um, I really want to share uh, knowledge. Um, I feel that it, it, it makes me feel better, you know, just to help others. And I believe that that's what we started to, uh, or that's what we try to do with the Zest um, brand, tone of voice, positioning, 
messaging and branding, if that makes sense. And then that was really good for the beginning of the, uh, of the journey. I believe that people want to speak with more humanized kind of brands um, eventually. And then when we started to do it, to, to um, put a lot of efforts on um, uh, fundraising, so we took the same disciplines and we used, the, we used them over there. What we did, for instance, we created a dashboard of all the parameters um, that we had at Zest. Some of them are good, some of them are bad, um, about revenues, about growth, about demographics, about everything. It was it went quite spreadable in, in Israel, in the East Coast and, 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 uh, and the Valley. A lot of uh, entrepreneurs shared it. And in the middle of the dashboard that we built, uh, there was um, a, a CTA button over there that was written above, above it. I can't remember the whole text, but it was, we were putting everything out. You know, I, I, can't, I didn't see any, any uh, pre-seed kind of startup that put all these parameters out. Right. Maybe, you know, uh, Buffer and those kind of huge companies doing it uh, in the last few years, but in the past that. it was quite, quite challenging and scary to do that. And then we, we wrote that we are doing it just in order to create some sort of a transparency communication with like-minded entrepreneurs. We got 700 leads, like people who actually clicked and filled out their details. Asking them to what? If they want to invest in Zest. It was ah. like investor dashboard. Uh-huh. With all the parameters wow. over there. So first of all, the, the tribe loved it. All the, all the thousands, all the dozens of thousands of the weekly active users that we had, they loved it because you put in all your uh, data. So it's good for your community, first of all. You know, it's bad and good parameters. Right. So let's just share it. And the, the whole KPI or the whole uh, strategy was to acquire investors and to try to reverse the paradigm. So it's not us going after investors, which, also, which we also did, to also was some sort of an inbound marketing kind of hmm. um, uh, discipline. And then we acquired seven, 700 potential investors. Again, not all of them were potential. A few. Yeah. A few with small amounts, which is great. Um, but what was even better than that, that uh, the far, uh, the bottom left, uh, let's say, part of this dashboard, that we had the uh, links for our uh, investor, da- investor uh, deck and invest and the uh, one page. And we put them all on Google Drive. And then when we went to meet other VCs and angels and, and all that, and you show them, uh, all right, let's open the deck. So you see 70 plus people over there on, uh, on Google Docs, right? Because you can see all the ah, profiles. Cool, yeah. Then they say, oh, all right, okay, what's that? So they're like, getting <laughs> the, yeah, okay. So like 70 <laughs> people are now watching the, the deck. What's going on? Like, uh, they, it's, it's like, um, the scarcity, um, kind of parameter, right. you know? Yeah. So what's going on? All right. So you see them like standing up in their chair and being more serious, hmm. which is good, right? So it's all about those kind of, as I said at the beginning, uh, psychological effects. You can use your marketing psychological effects Smart. to um, yeah. uh, fund like more um, uh, money or for your own tribe members or to be more uh, engaging with your uh, users and so on and so forth. So it's huge. those are huge tools that we are acquiring and learning each day. Just need to think how to use them and, and when, right? And to be... And that, that's a really good idea, by the way. I like that one. I told oh. you the discussion will be pragmatic. And, Fair and, enough. Right? Yeah. Fair enough. You're totally right. Um, question for you. What is your superpower? Um, wow, that's a tough one. Um, I think that uh, my superpower, are, um, in a really broad definition, uh, people. I think that I'm, I'm good with people. I understand thought processes. It's really easy for me today as a professional to speak with someone that is a professional as well. Uh, but again, maybe I'm missing things. I'm mixing things uh, together. But I think that I can uh, quite fast uh, understand who am I speaking with as far as it relates to his professionality level? Not just if he's a marketer, also as a person. 
I see it in, I, I divide it into two kind of aspects and I'm not sure how to do it in, in English. So maybe you guys will help me. There is the uh, professional aspect of who we are or in Hebrew and I will say it in Hebrew and sorry everybody else, but there is um, a Mikzo, like a Mikzoi and Mikzoan. How do, you, how do you say it in English? So being a professional versus just the professional aspects, holistically. Something like that. Okay. Something like that. Being a professional, it means that I'm a, I'm a professional marketer, right? So that's something that I should be good at as a, as a professional. But being a professional in the wider aspect of it, uh, if we we'll try to translate it, so it means that, um, and I'll give you a stupid example, uh, if we set a, a meeting today, right? We said we'll meet each other 11 a.m. I'll be here probably 10 minutes before the meeting. Right. It doesn't relate to me being a good marketer. Right. You know what? He's like spot on because what did I tell you before when we got here? I told you he'll be, he'll be here early. Yeah. Early. And I have never met Jan before, but we've communicated on professional levels quite a few times right. during the, the past few years. And I can uh, I can really say that it's exactly that with him, because everybody that I know that knows him will also say that they feel like they know him. Uh, and appreciate him. He, you're able to create rapport with people that you've never met. Cool. Which, you look like one of the most convenient and comfortable people to work with, like as as a professional. Like some, some I might argue with you, but, uh, <laughs> no, but yeah, you, you, like it looks like you're you're down to earth and you, you're easy to work with, and like so. So I think that it's logical what you're saying. Right. I think what you're trying to say was the difference between pre- being a professional than being an expert in something. Something like that. So you can yeah. be a professional yeah, no matter what you work with. Yeah. I'm still a professional. I come on time. Yeah. I speak like this. But or, it doesn't have nothing with your profession. Exactly. Right? Yeah, That's it's exactly the, that. It's the professional versus expert. Right. It's yeah. That. And I think that I, I, I'm quite good in creating some sort of biological metrics, you know, as far as it relates to your profession and your professional aspect. And uh, of course, your personality, but personality comes much later because we need to get to know right. um, each other, right? So that's, uh, that's the thing. By the way, when we structuring, when we structured Zest uh, strategy and we spoke, uh, we talked about the people or the human beings who actually worked in Zest. So we created some sort of um, three pillar based kind of platform, we can say, and we discussed about profession, professionality, and personality. As far as it relates to your own KPIs and what each of us in the team need to do, within Zest or, you know, out of Zest. It doesn't really uh, matter. So we all have, like, uh, personal KPIs that we want to achieve. Like, uh, you know, I want to lose weight, for instance. So it's part of the Zest strategy, as far as it relates to the team members. Um, And you also have your own professional KPI that we need to acquire more users, for instance. Right. Right. So it's all structured that way. Um, So I think it's probably me bringing in, as you said, maybe it's, I'm not sure if it's a superpower because it sounds so um, bombastic, but... Mm -hmm. Something like that to bring it in and to try to use it, because if I have some good orientation to that, so let's make others. And the kryptonite. Jesus, I have so many. Yeah, it's always <sighs> that. Like with that, with the honest people that we sit with, they they struggle to answer what their superpower is because we're trying to think of one. And then you ask them about the kryptonite, and they're like, okay. What do I choose? Yeah, yeah. it's uh, yeah, it's uh, you have multi-choice kind of uh, <laughs> uh, options uh, over here. Take two. Um, I think that um, um, being a control freak, it's the worst thing that uh, uh, in my personality. I think it's not just affecting my professional life, but also my personal life. I, I hate it. I'm trying to be better at it. If I'm if I'm still if I still need to improve something quite significantly, it will be that to try and let it go in a good way. Of course. When did you realize that's what you are? In my early days as a professional, probably 10, uh, 10 years ago. Uh, and each time that I'm starting a new venture, it's like, um, I'm not sure why, but it's been zero. And then I'm starting almost from scratch. 
maybe because you need to um, you feel that you need to take care of everything and um, um, you know you need to absorb everything to think about anything so probably that's that's one of the one of the things that I hate uh, you know with my personality and uh, let's give it a year what would be a successful year for you now like you say listen if I do this professionally right mm-hmm. okay I'm gonna say this is a good year wow all right I think that you know again we, we are we are living by the feedback that we are getting from our uh, um, avid users and we and we have quite a lot and we really feel that we are changing something in the web karma you can say right people are saying whoa I'm I'm enjoying from this let's say quietness um, I know I Um, I'm, I'm not feeling that I'm lost in a sea of content anymore. I, be, I believe that I don't need to go anywhere else to consume, uh, to be better at what I'm doing, right? So I'm, we are using some sort of, uh, like we are a medium or something, something like that between people and the knowledge out there. And we are just trying to be a tube that will give you the best kind of knowledge. So again, it was quite a branded kind of uh, uh, answer for you. But I really believe that we are doing something good. And in one of my lectures, uh, the last slide, there is the quote from Gladiator, which is quite militant, but uh, things that we are doing, right? Something like Echoes for Eternity, okay. something like that. Um, this is what I'm trying to say to budding entrepreneurs as well. Don't think about your solution or your product as the big thing that, that you do. Um, if you have a tool that is converting more, use, more visitors to users, for instance, You know, like Martech-wise, it's maybe the, the, the end solution of what you do, but you're actually doing something that is far bigger than that. And try to think from this broad definition of what you actually give back to karma or to earth or whatever you want to call it. Again, not in a spiritual kind of manner, but what you solve as a, what your startup solves have much bigger impact. Uh, and it really can echo for eternity if you look for it, not just for the revenue point of view, or we actually try to convert more people. people with our tool try to think what you actually give the why. You let the why what is the your added value uh, that we that we that we do we really believe that we are succeeding to make people to be more knowledgeable in a really a uh, not stressful manner all right there is it's a big thing it's not now we have product we have the zest distillation engine and we have the product and we have the solution and we have the multi-level uh, layer kind of uh Uh, you know the zest in the way that we distill knowledge but that's the solution of the solution of the solution right Try to think what you actually bring in. Nice. I'm inspired. Nice. Uh, so, first of all, thank you so much uh, for, for like, those insights. I hope no one's going to copy that strategy for the investors because it's really a good <laughs> one. It'll become so, like, mainstream Unless that everybody's going to do like, that. Unless they call it, like, the yam strategy. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Like, then it comes branded that's and good. it's good for us yeah. and then I don't mind to do that. Anyway, we have it all in, the media, in our Medium publication, so if you want to read about it, go ahead, use it. One more, uh, this is the grain of salt, right? Which is so important. What works for me, what works for us throughout my career, uh, will most likely will not work for anyone else. So all those best practices that we all hear all the time, they're the biggest killers that you can have for your own initiatives. It's again, as we said, it's not a mathematics, it's biology. It's like a fingerprint. What works for me was great for me at this time. Maybe if I'll use it, same methodologies now, maybe I'll just screw myself over, right? It will not generate the same value that they generated before. Same goes with what I've said uh, now. Maybe if some startup, with, uh, some other startup will use this hyper-transparent kind of strategy, it can break things apart, right? It may, they make ruin, might ruin the whole process. So, there could be very logical reasons for that because if you share information and the information actually says there is no business here, stay away, then 
logically enough, I understand why people would want to invest. Maybe even if the parameters are great, maybe in a given period of time, it's not the right thing to do. But anyway, what I'm trying to say is that take it, absorb it, digest it with a grain of salt, and maybe use the idea or the methodology, but don't do it as, as is and try to adjust it and so to true. customize it. And that's good for any kind of best practices that you can read uh, on the web. By the way, one of the things that uh, our tribe members hate and they're not approving uh, those kind of articles or those listicles, for instance, which, which they're so narrow or 10 best, most of the 10 best kind of articles are right. being uh, distilled out quite fast. Even uh, I, I don't ask those chiefs moderators to read those articles even because it, it's not a zest kind of material. It's not a, no one should consume this kind of uh, knowledge. Um, it can be maybe the almost 10 best kind of things, uh, but no one, n- nothing can be the best for you unless you will know that you need to readjust it and customize it for your own efforts. No actual formula. You just have to take what you can get from people exactly. and see if it resonates or not and then structure your own. Right. And most importantly, you guys, always remember to zest and rest. Oh, that's great. <laughs> zest and that's rest. That's a good one. The new sticker. Let's step out with that. <laughs> Thank you. Thank zest you. Zest and rest. Real life. Superpowers. <laughs>